You're listening to 340B Unscripted. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to 340B Unscripted. I'm Greg Wilson. I'm here with Rob Nahoopi. Hey, Rob. Greg, how are you doing? This is another emergency uh, podcast episode. In fact, I think the last one we did was on the same topic, if I remember correctly. Everybody knows we love this topic because <laughs> we stop everything to record a podcast <laughs> episode. So we're, we're recording this on the evening of uh, Thursday, October 26th. Um, yeah, so, so this morning, HRSA published a notice on their webpage, and they also published an un- well, I guess it's an unpublished uh, federal register notice clarifying uh, their stands on the use of 340B drugs in unregistered locations that are not on your Medicare cost report. Rob, do you want to walk us through kind of what the the new policy is? Yeah, it's so, you know, it's something we've been talking about, right? This is all related to FEQ 4301 that went away with the COVID PHE and and it and at, at, up until today, HRSA not really publicly taking a stance for us to know: Do we not? Do we do it? What's going to happen if the, this if a covered entity uses the immediate qualification of a new location, and they have a HRSA audit? You know, after the COVID PHE ended, we just didn't know, right? It's a lot of speculation. Uh, you know, we we spoke with a lot of other groups and law firms and lawyers that we trust and believe in, and you know, got their got their take on a lot of these things, and you know, our feeling for the longest time was, gosh, is HRSA going to actually enforce this? They haven't publicly said anything. They've just removed information. Um, and it feels like they would have to publicly say something if they're going to try and enforce it. Well, that enforcement came today. So we know that uh, letters went out to just, is if you're, in fact, we should say, if you're not signed up for the um, Department of Health and Human Services kind of um, 340B uh, listserv, um, you definitely should. So, you know, all, most of our team are on it. In fact, I'd say generally all our teams on it, quite a few of our clients are on it, but that notice went out today, so it's um you know part of the just the notice through the federal register process that um, the government utilizes, and in there is very interesting. They basically took a hardline stance and said, you know that uh, as of the end of the COVID PHE, that you they are retroing back to previous um, processes for registration and qualification, and that essentially you a new location needs to be on a filed Medicare cost report. Um, if it's within the four walls, they don't explicitly state it, but just to just to probably cover some gaps here. If it's within the four walls and it's it's eligible on the day you file your cost report, with that uh, location providing it's between lines 50 and 118, with eligible um, expenses and charges, and of course inpatient um, areas would qualify as well as long as they have outpatient um, uh, outpatients like observation patients. But what was interesting is so they said that's true, and of course for register if it's offsite, then you would have to register those new locations. Um, after you're on a file cost report for them to be eligible. But you now, can only do it at the beginning of a ca- quarter calendar. So, you know, yes. January, April, July, and October. Right. So same same registration processes. So what's interesting is on this, Greg, this is where, you know, I, I don't want to talk too much on this because I know you've read it through and, and I, I want to make sure I don't say anything wrong because we all are just digesting it today. And I think you and I were on site auditing today. And so it was kind of reading at lunchtime and reading. I read it before breakfast or during breakfast when I went in. Um. They, it almost feels like they felt like they had to explain themselves a lot. And so there's a lot of commentary. So if, if you haven't read it, you definitely go, go track it down. And if you don't have it for whatever reason, let us know, we'll send it to you. But basically they had all this commentary about why they're doing this and that they felt like they had, 
you know, that, that covered entities um, use this and they have a hard time managing compliance because of lack of visibility. Um, that, you know, part of the, Greg, you mentioned part of the letters, uh, if you want to cover that letter portion, because I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it's a, you know, it's a 10 page notice and you, the, the actionable items or kind of the stated kind of transition plan and the policy moving forward doesn't get addressed until like page eight and a half. So it's like eight pages of exposition around the background of this issue. And one of the things that they describe in their their kind of background statement is the letters that were sent out to covered entities back in March. And I know we talked about this. There were around 60 or so covered entities. And I think they state there were 60 hospitals that were um, uh, sent uh, surveys. And they, they kind of explain how those recipients were identified. It was 20 hospitals with the highest volume of purchases from the 340B program, 20 hospitals with the highest numbers of offsite outpatient facilities registered on OPACE, and 20 additional covered entities that had some degree of compliance risk. Don't exactly know what those uh, risks were, but they stated based on um, that information, 27 of those hosp 60 hospitals that were surveyed admitted to using 340B drugs that were not on, in locations that not were not on the filed cost report and not registered on OPACE. And they talk about some of the concerns that they have with regard to program integrity and being able to monitor and identify diversion risk and duplicate discounts in these unregistered, uh, non-listed departments. Um, again, kind of serving as the basis for why they have, you know, formalized their policy statement around the uh, the use of drugs in this particular circumstance. Yeah, fascinating. Uh, if you think about it, that they, that they're basically saying compliance reasons is the reason that they're reverting back, right? Yeah. That uh, it's the visibility and everything else, but- yeah. Compliance well, is one reason. And also because the the provision really was, they're, they're stating it was done in out of a need for, for flexibility related to the PHE, which I think we both take issue with because when FAQ 4301 was published, it was independent of the public health emergency. And Apexis told stakeholders, this is permanent- interpretation of location eligibility. This is essentially 340B canon moving forward, but yet HRSA continues to state, hey, this was only done out of the need for some flexible arrangements that covered entities need as a result of the pandemic. Yeah. And if I can read this part, uh, because right, it, this part I take some issue with where they say, as some covered entities believed, the waiver would continue indefinitely and would not be tied to the end of the PHE, HRSA is providing a transition period for covered entities to come into compliance with the offsite outpatient facility registration requirements. And so, you know, we'll talk about this kind of, um, I guess, this transition period um, compliance thing that they're going to provide. But the reason I take issue with that is, you know, it's longstanding that when HRSA needs to, to communicate things, they do work with Apexis through Apexis answers to be able to provide that information to covered entities. And so it's so our team, I think multiple people from our team, including myself, just I'll speak directly for myself. So it's not secondhand information. Ask the Pexes, hey, is this just for the COVID PHE or is it going to, or, you know, is, does it go on? I was told it would continue on in perpetuity. It's just a clarification of qualification of locations and not something specific to COVID PHE. It, it happens to be being released now because it's going to be beneficial, but that it wouldn't. And many, many people reached out. We know that. Um, one of the uh, Bill von Olsen um, at, from from his law firm reached out and received the response from a senior policy advisor at the time. In fact, their senior is policy advisor at the time, stating it would continue on in perpetuity. Maybe not the exact language, but essentially that's what it meant. And so we received this information over and over and over again, which is perceived to be the voice for HRSA when it comes to FAQs and questions. 
as Apexis, and then for for them to say, oh, some covered and he's believed. You know why they believe we believed it? It's because you said you so. That's yeah. why we believed it. Yeah. That's what drives me a little crazy about these types of things. Them not acknowledging that they had a part to play in that understanding or belief that, yeah, we we did say it for three years and now we kind of backed off. And But here's why. It's almost like they give us all the compliance reasons and things why they're doing it. And then almost just kind of eh, kind of gloss over the fact that they had any part to play in that that misinformation, if, if that's what it truly was at this point. So that's where, you know, as a government agency, I, I think, you know, we talked about it. We, we I perfectly or significantly believe that this is a misstep by government um, yeah. to do what they're doing. And and a couple of things to add that we talked about, I just want to highlight, they talk about compliance and they talk about duplicate discount. Well, this doesn't help duplicate discount compliance per se, because- This reintroduces the risk for yes. either more duplicate discount or for states not being able to uh, invoice manufacturers for rebates that they're owed because yep. of the the limitation here. Right, because- just to remind people, most hospitals, I mean, there are a few outlying circumstances. I think free standing EDs, uh, rural health clinics also have some, um, you know, opportunity to bill with a separate NPI. But the vast majority of time, hospital outpatient departments, even offsite, will use the hospital's main NPI for billing. So you're using the same NPI. And there's still quite a few states that utilize NPI on the MEF as the mechanism for preventing a duplicate discount. Even in states where they have a UD modifier or some other modifier, some of those states still rely on the NPI because they know they're not getting consistent UD or other modifier use. And so for that reason, I do think this is extremely hard. And then you couple that with the fact that CMS, right? Everything's based on CMS. And I know we shared this, but I wanna highlight it one more time. As soon as a new hospital outpatient department is created, um, you know, that, that the, the hospital works with CMS, it becomes a hospital outpatient department and they bill with the hospital's NPI number and CMS immediately starts reimbursing them as a hospital outpatient department. Now, if it's offsite, there is some site neutrality rules we won't get into, not germane to this topic right now, but, but CMS essentially allows them to be treated as a hospital outpatient department. Why HHS or HRSA or OPA feels that they have to do something different when everything's supposed to be based on CMS and all of a sudden they're not going to go based on CMS is beyond me. Like this yeah. whole thing just super frustrating. I, and I know some of you out there listening probably feel the same thing and, and we, we, we hear you. So, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'm sure people will say that we're biased because, I mean, we support 340B covered entities. But when that that when they changed this policy in June of 2020, man, it was a really pragmatic approach. I had been yeah. on the hospital side and have struggled with trying to manage a new outpatient department that can't be treated as 340B eligible, even though the patients meet all of the criteria for patient eligibility and the hospital supporting that department in the same way as their registered locations to have to, you know, implement some type of interim drug distribution process because HRSA administratively won't allow you to designate that as a 340B eligible location, even though it's a hospital outpatient department. It was very challenging to implement. It was very challenging to budget for that type of scenario. And sometimes it resulted in an increase in your uh, overall drug expense. If it was a location within the four walls, you're a GPO prohibition hospital. You got to buy all that at whack until yeah. you can get you, you get your cost report filed. So and I thought it was. A, go ahead. Uh, but yeah, up to eighteen months, right? If you if you open yeah. up that new facility at the wrong time, you're possibly talking eighteen months before you can actually utilize it. I mean, it can be catastrophic if you're buying whack because you put that clinic in your four walls. And what if that clinic's a clinic you really need for patient care, right? Mm -hmm. Something that your patients need. You're writing prescriptions out of that clinic and, and you can't even buy them on 340B. You can do charity care, but you're going to have to, if it's your own in-house retail, you're going to have to buy it at WAC or you're going to have to go have some contract pharmacy sell it to you at UNC. So you're not leveraging those dollars. Like the whole, I mean, there's very little that makes sense about this decision. Yeah, in my it was a really, I thought it was a really pragmatic way to re-identify uh, 
location eligibility when they publish this. So it feels like we're taking a, a number of steps back in time here. So, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, look, and, and if anyone from Herschel ever listens to our thing, look, we get you have a hard job and, and you've got to make some decisions. You know, and, and, you know, I know we're playing a little bit of uh, a, co- a couch quarterback here, but just got to call it just like we would a ref watching a football game. We think this is a bad call. We think this is a bad call be- for a lot of reasons. And uh, I hope they maybe readdress it or relook at it someday and say, OK, may- maybe maybe going backwards wasn't the right play there. Well, let's put a more positive spin on it now because we can talk about what the next steps are for covered entities. There is some, um, you know, some allowance here moving forward, a couple of different strategies that covered entities are going to need to consider uh, based on the new notice. The first is a a transition period. So um, again, starting on page eight of the the notice, you'll you'll see HRSA's next step. So if you have an offsite location, that's using 340B drugs that's currently listed on your cost report. HRSA says, look, you just got to get it registered um, at the next open registration period, which would be uh, January 1st through the the 16th. So if it's on your cost report, you're using 340B drugs, now's the time to get prepared to register it as a child site come January 1. Right. And that's good, right? So so your June, um, well, I guess if you had an earlier cost report and you haven't done it, make sure you get that done. If you're a June, um, end of year, fiscal year is June, then you should have a new cost report in November. And so then you'll be in good shape there. Yeah. So the the second provision, um, again, uh, grants uh, covered entities the ability to uh, submit a notice or a communication, I guess, to um, to HRSA regarding uh, use of 340B drugs in these unregistered locations. So um, they have said that uh, HRSA will continue to allow outpatient facilities that are offsite, not yet listed on the um, cost report, um, to continue to use 340B drugs under the following conditions. So the first is the offsite outpatient facility has to have been opened um, and begun using 340B drugs prior to the publication of this notice, which will be tomorrow or October 27th. So sites already got to be open. You can't uh, open up new departments after this um, notice gets published and consider them eligible, according to what HRSA is saying here. Um, another condition is that the hospital's going to um, need to submit uh, communication to HRSA via email. Uh, there's an email address that's listed in the notice within 90 days of the publication of the notice informing HRSA of a couple of different things for uh, the covered entity. One, the name of the offsite outpatient facility in question the date that the site will be listed on the hospital's Medicare cost report, and they say parenthetically, this must be on the next filed Medicare cost report with associated outpatient costs and charges. And you need to include the date that the covered entity will be registered in the OPA database. And that all needs to be provided to HRSA within 90 days of notice. So, Greg, you pointed out a couple of important things, right? As we digested this, as we read into certain things, and um, and one is when they talk about, I initially read that, you have to tell them what your costs and charges are. Like, how does anyone know what their costs and charges are? I think all they're saying is you have to provide the date you plan on filing your cost report where this new location or locations will have costs and charges. And you don't need to know what those costs and charges are because that's almost impossible. Yeah. Um, so don't read it the way I read it the first time. Um, but, but Greg, tell the situation because we have a client that we talked to. They opened up a new location recently. Um, let's call it August. And they're trying to figure out, but their cost report, their cost report period does end in June. So they are going to file a cost report in November, but it won't be on there. Yeah. If you're a covered entity that's operating under on a, a July to June fiscal year, your cost report's likely not going to be filed until November. 
So if you've opened up a new department since the end of the fiscal year, so July 1st or to, to date, that location is not going to appear on the November cost report that you file in a couple of weeks. So covered entities may need to delay submission of this notice to HRSA until after that cost report is filed for any outpatient departments that have been opened in your current fiscal year. That, did I, did it? That yeah, no, that, that makes yeah. sense, right? Because yeah. it's the parentheses that gets you. Because yeah. if you if you try and like, so if this client submits today, say, oh my gosh, I've got this site to open up in August. They submit, well, it won't, the next filed, the parentheses said, this must be the next filed Medicare cost report. Well, that won't be on the next filed cost report, so it won't work. But if they file in December, after they file this, the November cost report, yeah. it will be on the next filed cost report. They'll have to say, hey, we opened this new site in August. It's December. You know, yeah. the, the most recently fought Cosport doesn't have it, but our next one will. Yeah. That will be next, you know, I guess whatever date they plan on. I can look at the calendar and call it November 30th, um, unless that's a weekend. Well, whatever day you plan on submitting by your usual and customary process, talk about the expense revenue. And of course, that you'll be registering it January 1st of 2025, right? Yeah. So I think that's covering all three things, plus the name and everything. But that's, I think, such a good call out because if you send that too soon, yeah. you don't meet that next file cost report requirement. Now, yeah, you got to be strategic in, in when you uh, file for for the extension or the waiver or whatever we're, um, we're we're calling this here. You know, depending on when your cost report's filed and when those new outpatient departments might have um, begun uh, booking revenue and expense. Because if it's within the current fiscal year, but your cost report's not been filed yet, you might not see that department on this year's cost reports. So you may have to wait. Yeah, so that might not be a lot of people, but we're calling out now, to be fair, this is embedded by her, so this is all new information, but reading the actual notice, that seems to fit within a notice. Like we would meet all the requirements for that exception by doing by doing it that way. Yep. Um, now they could come back and say, well, we actually met your, you know, whatever, you know, it, if you have one coming, but they didn't say the upcoming cost report, they just said your next file cost report and they give you 90 days. So yep. wait until December is absolutely okay. In fact, wait until January is technically okay. Um, if you have a delay in your cost report for some reason. Yeah. So if you can't uh, meet those conditions, so if, uh, again, you don't submit notice to HRSA within 90 days, you know, there is going to be a, a not, that 90 day grace period. It gives you the opportunity to continue to buy 340B drugs. But after the 90 day grace period, HRSA says you need to cease buying 340B drugs for these unregistered locations that aren't on your cost report and not on OPACE. Um, so again, taking a fairly, a hard-nosed approach to to this particular issue after offering a, a 90-day grace period here. So so good point there is, I, I you know, at this point, anyone who is using it or plans to use it, you've got 90 days from today. So that actually drifts you into January. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that 90-day grace period is probably an acknowledgement of the fact that there was some bad information going out for three years and they changed their mind. So I, I believe that's why they're giving this grace period. I wish it, I wish they could just give us a 12 month grace period or something larger for people to react to, because we do have some other, I, I work with some clients that are trying to figure out what do they do? You know, they're doing some, they have some big changes with their hospitals and, and they're creating new departments. And this is This is going to be a problem because currently eligible locations today then won't be eligible in the future as they create new cost centers. And yeah. it's going to be painful in a really bad time for health systems from a financial perspective. Um, I that, mean, this is going to be a huge administrative burden on, on HRSA's side, because I mean, if you just look at the sample size from March's letter, 60 covered entities, 27 to 60 were implementing um, immediate use of 340B. You're talking 50% of your, at least your hospital-based 
covered entity population likely has some sort of scenario like this that's going to require them to submit a notice to HRSA. So, yeah. And, you know, and we talked about it a little bit, um, you know, around the horn about this and, you know, HRSA stating it's because of compliance reasons, but I, I kind of feel like there's other ways to get to compliance, right? They're willing to do desk audits. They could instead require um, every covered entity that's going to use this provision moving forward, right? So is it come January 1st, right? Grace period through the end of the year, come January 1st, if you're using this provision, you have to submit, you know, some document that says exactly what they're asking for, but for everyone to submit it so that they know, okay, we expect to see these registrations at this time. If we don't, that could be part of their desk audit process to go back and check. And I think there's just other ways they could have got to compliance versus reverting back to the historical way that has other issues and, yeah, and definitely problems for covered entities. Yeah, I, I don't understand why they wouldn't allow covered entities to submit an attestation of this practice through OPACE. It's very, yeah. It should be very easy for covered entities to go in and make a uh, an annotation in, in OPACE that says, yeah, this is uh, something that we have included in our policies and procedures and we're we're operating um, or implementing uh, currently. I mean, the, the trial bounds crosswalk that HRSA asks for during HRSA audits, again, is another tool that covered entities have been using for the last three years to be transparent about this practice, listing these offsite locations on your trial balance crosswalk with the cost center associated with them so that you can provide a backend detail of what the revenue and expenses are going to be once that cost report gets filed. So there's a lot of steps that covered entities have built into their practices over the last three years to minimize the compliance risk associated with this. So again, it just feels like a big step back in terms of giving covered entities uh, flexibility to, to maximize their participation in the program and make things less uh, administratively burdensome, I guess. Yeah. And and right, and we do 200, at least 200 HRSA audits a year. Um, and during those audits, if the issues identified where people said it was a qualified location and the cost report came on and it wasn't over time, yeah. then that's, that's a, to me, that's a diversion finding that requires payback. So yeah. there already is the enforcement processes in place and they could add a few more like, you know, submitting um, attestation. I like that idea. I just don't think they have to go back to this. And so- yeah. No. Sad day. It's a day that will forever live in infamy. Yeah, it's a little bittersweet because I think people have been wanting clarification. Everybody's been concerned about the unknown, but I don't think this is the response that that the covered entity community was hoping to get from HRSA on the issue. But I mean, there is a path forward to to continue it, continuing it um, as long as you follow HRSA's kind of notice process here. But uh, certainly going to create some some headache for a lot of covered entities more long term. Yeah, it's going now. We're going to go revert back to okay. Open up your new locations in the last month of your fiscal year to decrease the amount of whack and and you know odd yeah. purchasing burden that you're going to have, or messing up the state if you're an NPI MEF state for a duplicate discount, right? You just how do you mitigate that time frame and risk? And it's just it's just not optimal. It doesn't make healthcare efficient. It um, in fact it makes it less it less efficient and uh, more costly to be honest. So which is to me the opposite intent of the program. I know we're just we we haven't really talked about you know, the the response that many folks will have, but got to assume somebody's going to take take issue with this and try to litigate this, right? I would have to believe at minimum, we're going to see some some definite responses from, you know, some of the key players, some of the law firms working with covered entities. Yeah. I would have to guess that uh, Marine and 340B Health will have a response. Um, you know, Bill Von Olsen, I was guaranteed to have a response and is my thought. So yeah, I'm curious to see the response, and um, I and I, I think most of those responses are probably going to be accurate and correct that um, this this is a this is a bad thing for covered entities, yeah. not a, not a good thing. All right, Rob, it's good catching up with you on a impromptu episode here. It's always yeah. with bad news. We never have these 
I know. Never scramble these for for good positive developments. I know. know. We we, we got to find we got to find one. There's a good good positive because we're always like if it's good and positive we can wait. You know, um, type thing. So yeah, maybe, maybe next time we have a pretty good positive one. Like let's just do a quick emergency one and get it out there. That'd yeah. be fun. Then that way when they see emergency ones, they don't always associate with something negative going on. All right. Well, again, thanks everyone for listening. If you have questions about this topic or any other 340B or pharmacy related topics, don't forget to email us at 340B unscripted at spendmen.com. We'd love to hear from you. Take care, Rob. Perfect. You too, Greg. Thank you. Thanks for listening to 340B Unscripted. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.